Branding Badass, and welcome to Season 2 of Branding Matters. Today I have two guests, Lana Van Brandt and Haley Deneen, the founders of Sackville & Co., a design-focused, fast-forward cannabis accessories brand based in New York City. Known for their cannabis products that double as home decor, Lana and Haley's aim for Saxville is to elevate the cannabis experience, appealing to both the connoisseurs and the curious. In addition to Sackville & Co., this dynamic duo are also the brains behind Sackville Studios, a multidisciplinary cannabis design and production studio created by, what they like to say, women who like to smoke weed. It's also the first female-run studio to design and produce major brands for top global cannabis brands. I invited Lana and Haley to be guests on my show today to talk about their brand story and what a story it is. I wanted to discuss their passion for bringing women's issues that are not normally discussed to the forefront of the conversation. And I was really curious to learn why they decided to buy the company back right after it was acquired in 2019. Ladies, I am so excited to have you here today. Welcome to Branding Matters. Thank, Thank you for, for having, having us. us. We're oh excited. Oh, this is great. And I love the fact that we're in three different cities. So I'm in Calgary. And Lana, you're where? I'm in New York City. I'm in Brooklyn. In Brooklyn. Okay. And where are you, Haley? I'm in Toronto right now. Yeah. Somewhere Canada. <laughs> yeah, that's so great. This is fun. Okay. So I love, love, love your brand. So, and I want to talk a lot about it and what you're doing, but before we get into it, I want to learn a bit about the two of you. So Haley, why don't you tell me, first of all, where are you from and how do you know Lana? Yeah, so I'm actually from Toronto, though I spent most of my time not living here. So I've only recently moved back. Um, Where in Toronto are you from? I'm from downtown. I grew up like, if anyone knows Cabbage Town, it's like a very downtown neighborhood. I met Lana. It's so weird because time just feels like a weird space right now, but I guess it must have been three years ago, four years ago. Uh, just before we started the brand, actually, I met her through my husband because they had both been working at Vice. I used to live in New York, so it was whole thing. <laughs> okay, where did you go to school? Did you go to school in Toronto? No, I went to school in London, UK, actually. So I lived in uh, Europe or in London for seven years. I went to uh, Central St. Martin's, which is a world-renowned design school. So I studied fashion yeah. design there. I worked there for a little bit. I worked for the UN for a while running a international, um, it's called the Ethical Fashion Initiative, which was a program working with luxury designers, um, trying to help them create more sustainable lines. And then I moved back to Toronto and ended up working in streetwear. So I worked for October's very own, which is Drake's company as their design director. And then I've also worked for Yeezy. And you meet Drake? People. I have met Drake. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, I feel like everyone in Toronto is like six degrees separation. Okay. <laughs> Where in London did you live? I lived in Kentish town, which is North London. Okay. But I also lived in East London and Homerton. I like moved around a ton. Okay. No, I lived in Richmond for a while. That's why I was asking. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So what about you, Lana? Where are you from originally? So I'm actually from Calgary. 
Oh, no way. Yeah. yeah. Oh, too funny. Yeah. So I'm from, I'm actually from a little like farm south of Calgary. And then I ended up moving. I started out in advertising in traditional, like within agency spaces. I did. Where'd you work? Yeah, I started. I started, um, I worked, I don't know even if they exist. I'm sorry if they're listening and they do exist and they're thriving, but there's two companies, one called Trigger and one called Caro, just little agencies there. Shut up. I worked at Caro. No way. That is, I worked a long time ago. I worked there. Okay. I'm going to show my age a little bit. I worked there in... 1996, 95. Oh, no. You weren't way. there. Right? So they Bedford? gave me my first job ever. Chris Bedford, yeah, Michael Bangemeyer. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that totally. is so, we, we, girls, we guys, yeah. we're like yeah. met to meet. That is yeah. so yeah. funny. That's okay. so funny. Yeah. So I started there. I ended up moving to Toronto and then I started building out, doing um, branding and marketing for like Vice Media. I kind of became um, a director in that environment. They moved me down to New York and then I started a consulting business where I worked in branding for media companies and marketing for attention media and Vice Media while I was down there as well. That's amazing. So did you meet in New York? We met in Toronto. So he, we both worked at Vice in Toronto and then I ended up moving down to New York and, and actually subsequently Al, her husband moved down to New York as well with Vice. So we all kind of ended up down there. Like both moved our lives. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. That's so great. Okay. So what inspired you to start your business together? Yeah. So I think Lana and I both really saw the industry the same way. Like we were both cannabis consumers. We both loved cannabis and we felt like it just had an aesthetic that just had not been reimagined. Like the way that cannabis products had been designed seemed to only have one consumer in mind, which seemed to be like a teenage boy on a silk or something. I have two, by the way. <laughs> you know the aesthetic. Yeah. <laughs> and it just didn't fit anything that we would have in our lives and feel, you know, good about. And the whole thing that we were trying to do is really, you know, change the stigma, change the way that people approach cannabis. And one of the biggest problems for us is like, you don't want to hide it under your bed or under your couch or have this thing that you automatically feel shame about when you take it out. So we started really talking about what it would look like to redesign the whole cannabis consumption experience and what we thought we could bring to the space. And we had many, yeah, wine chats about like what this cannabis chats. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then it was born and it, it started, you know, we first uh, designed one grinder and we we're like, okay, this is really cool. Let's try it. Let's see if there's an audience for it. And then that really blew up. And because of that, we just started making more and more products and seeing like, okay, no one's done a really cool pipe that you'd want to have out on your coffee table or or a tray or all these different things that really hadn't been reimagined for an audience that we sort of fit into. Right. And so was this done prior to it becoming legal or they don't call it legal, they call it decriminalized. Did this all happen when that was going on before or after, or walk me through like when did, what timeline are we talking? Canada was on like the, just about to change. Like we actually launched the business in 2018 cannabis uh, legalized recreationally in 2017. So it was just starting to happen as we were sort of testing the markets. And obviously I think anyone who is excited about cannabis has really seen this coming in North America like the sort of wave of legalization as well as around the world. So 
it was exciting for us because we're also both very, very entrepreneurial people. Mm -hmm. And so we were like, okay, this is an industry that is just like begging to be reimagined and, and hasn't had a real design touch put to it. So it was just an opportunity that we felt like we can pass up. What made you guys decide, okay, let's do this together? Is it because you've been, were you sort of always brainstorming about ideas about going to business together and this one came or? How yeah, that yeah, yeah, 100%. We, we had had an opportunity to talk about a bunch of different things and we've, as we noted, we've kind of both created our own companies in the past and we've basically, Haley and I have a really unique set of skills where I think that we, neither of us own a space that the other does. Like we complement each other really, really well. So when you're talking about building a brand, it's not like, you know, we both know how to really work social media or something. And then who are we going to get to make these products or do whatever, you know, Haley has like a massive, massive Rolodex of manufacturing and, you know, supply chain and these pieces that a company needs. And my background was complementary to what kind of that tangible logistics or design those pieces and how we can build that. So it was like, we just realized we didn't need anybody else. Like we didn't have to be some, a, a company that had to like, okay, but we'd have to hire a freelancer or a designer or something. It was like, we can actually just do this ourselves. Like, let's, let's just do this. That's amazing. And so did your, were your husband supportive? Like when you told them you were doing this, were they behind you or did you get some? Oh yeah. Everyone was so supportive. It's so funny because obviously the cannabis stigma has been changing so much over the years and it continues to, I mean, like we always say when we started the brand, like no one wanted to talk about like design for it accessories. Like Vogue wasn't writing about it. It was a fashionable thing to talk about, but it was starting to change and now it's changed so much that everyone is just super excited to see where it can go. And, you know, what we're bringing to the space is so new and fresh that yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> I didn't, I was living in that single life. I'm not, <laughs> but my family, I think was still a case study of the change in the narrative and why these kinds of brands, like brands like ours, who are willing to push an aesthetic forward that people can actually relate to and that they're going to set out on their coffee table and something that, you know, doesn't have a stigma attached to it. Because I think in the early days, I probably had to kind of prove a case study of success where people were willing to get behind versus like, oh yeah, we see that as like, of course, that's a that's an incredible market and every company in the world is trying to get in. Like it's still, it's, it's, interesting how quickly the years change. Like it's, you know, from three years ago, it wasn't the narrative that we're talking about now. It, four years ago, like it wasn't, it wasn't as casual as everyone's kind of speaking to it now. It was still a very insular industry. Yeah. And, and outside of that, you kind of, from, from my, at least there was still a lot of stigma to it. And I think that that's like 100% gone in terms of like people understanding that you can build a business in it, whether people have personal stigmas attached to it. I think we still have a bit of ways to go there. Mm -hmm. You're, you're sort of taking it out of the, the head shops and you're putting it into the more luxury space, right? Where you're exactly. giving it that aesthetic. So yeah. Can you tell me a little bit of some of the products that you do, like like actual products that you make? You mentioned grinder. Now, full disclosure, I like edibles. So is edibles cannabis? Is that considered cannabis? Oh, yeah. But you're specifically just for pot, like smoking. Is that correct? Or do you also do stuff for edibles or I guess? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Great question. Because I think it highlights also the fact that, you know, cannabis is new to a lot of people. And there are so many different ways that you can consume cannabis. So there's a lot of questions out there. And I think people should feel really open about asking them because yeah. it's a new industry and it's, it's a new space for people. So we have a range of products. We have lifestyle goods, which are products that 
maybe fit into your consumption ritual. Maybe they don't. We have, you know, room sprays that are really nice. We have, you know, sweatshirts and things like that. We also have consumption accessories, which would be like your grinder, your rolling paper, maybe your ashtray, things like that, that really fit into a smoking cannabis ritual. And then we've done some collaborations for edibles. I mean, one of the things about us is that we are really obsessed with quality. So we only want to do things if we know it's something that we'd want in our homes or we'd want to use. So we've done one collaboration with an amazing um, chocolatier to do these like, you know, CBD infused oh, yeah. bars. Yeah. We're limited edition and they were sort of fun for us to take a step in that direction. But yeah, there's so many interesting ways that people are starting to look at how cannabis can be consumed and, you know, for different audiences. Right. Okay. And you were going to say something, Lana, what were you going to say? We are really, really, really careful to make sure that what we're putting on the market speaks to the brand that we, not only the brand that we are now, but the brand that we you know, will continue to be as we grow. So when someone has a touch point with our brand, it is like every part of it should be phenomenal and it should be something they feel really, really good about using, buying, owning, keeping forever, or kind of ingesting. And we haven't found that yet for other spaces or other products within CBD and that kind of consumption. So it's not ruled out, but like we're we're picky. Yeah, I, I love that. And you know what? I love that you said that about the different touch points, because that's a big thing in branding, too, is it's all about those touch points. So no matter what you're doing and everything that you're putting out into the marketplace, and whether it's on social media or the products that you're selling or the advertising that you're doing, it always it has to be consistent with the brand that you're trying to get out there. So I want to back up a little bit. There has been forever a stigma around cannabis. For anyone who doesn't know, can you share a bit about the history of why cannabis became illegal and why there was that stigma attached to it? For sure. So when you look at the history of, you know, cannabis legalization, a lot of the laws that uh, came to regulate the cannabis industry or cannabis itself were really based around racialized immigration laws. And so um, it was a way that people could criminalize a very certain uh marginalized group of people in the United States. And at that time, you know, the United States set the precedent for how things were looked across the world. So as soon as the U.S. declared it this horrible drug, it became that internationally without any real science behind um, those, that statement or those um, ideas. Yeah. So for years, you know, and then with the Reagan administration putting uh, the war on drugs into action, cannabis was used to really police young black men. And so you have, you know, so many stories, horrific stories of families being torn apart and people being uh, imprisoned for tiny, tiny drug infractions um, based on their cannabis consumption. And Unfortunately, even though so many states are legal today, you still have people um, being, you know, imprisoned for tiny, tiny nonviolent drug infractions. And that same consumption was never, ever policed in, you know, white communities or privileged communities. So it's a real reckoning that society has to come to, to recognize what that history is and how important it is that as we move into legalization, 
all of those histories are taken into account and people sort of recognize where that stigma came from and how brainwashed a lot of us were from that war on drugs campaign that really tried to use scare tactics as a way to legitimize this policing of young black men across the United States. It's important that we, that brands, like we, we absolutely believe, you know, when we're, we're thriving within the cannabis space. So these brands are kind of coming up that it's important to not only talk about it, but kind of make sure that people understand that the stigma, although it's become this permeated thing that's in our psyches of like, you know, girls don't smoke or, you know, whatever the whole kind of that kind of trickle down of what, what happens from, from what Haley is mentioning. It's, it's important because ultimately nothing ends up changing without the brands that are moving forward. You know, we, we can push forward an aesthetic to change stigma, but ultimately we have to make sure that everyone understands like what's actually happening and and who's making changes and kind of not be silent until that happens. No, absolutely. And, you know, it's funny because I listened to Seth Rogen, right? You know, he's yeah. like, and he's great. And he, he has his own lifestyle brand now, right? I think it's called like yeah. Houseplant. 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 Yeah. And, you know, yeah. and I've heard him talk about it and he, he, sort of gave this history lesson, which I found really interesting and how exactly what you just said. I mean, it was the marginalized people that were the one and they came from Latin America and they were smoking it. So it was against the, you know, the politicians and they want it. And that's why alcohol was sort of okay after prohibition, because there was money in it and people were doing it. But the reality is more people die of cirrhosis of the liver and heart disease due to alcohol, I don't think I've ever heard of anybody dying from, you know, cannabis, right? So uh, yeah, so it's really topical. And I love what you're doing. What do you think about, I mean, I think I know your answer to this, but I'm curious to hear what you say about when you have people that will say, yeah, but cannabis is the gateway drug. And then after that, it's something else. Uh, Haley, what do you think about that? You know, the amazing thing that's happened since countries have started to legalize, you know, Canada starting that wave is research. And the only way we're actually going to, you know, really change the needle in this conversation is having proper research done on the plant, because as that's starting to happen, we're starting to see incredible things that can be uh, done with different cannabinoids and ways that it interacts with the body. I mean, the cannabis plant (laughs) has a very natural connection to the body. We have an endocannabinoid system, which is just our body producing these same cannabinoids. And that's why you have these effects from the plant. So I think that Unfortunately, everyone still has that mindset that's kind of been fed to them from the war on drugs that they're unable to sort of see past what can be possible with cannabis and really look at all of the possibilities that the plant can provide. So I think research is the way forward. And I'm really excited to see some more really thoughtful studies going on. And ultimately, marketing. You yeah. know, marketing is what yeah. moved us into that mindset. Like it, it's it's the fabric that we all kind of we don't understand the depth that marketing has in the decision making that we that we all participate in in society and the way that we view each other and all of that. So I think that it is also up to the brands that are putting money behind these things and government and all those pieces to be able to educate and market in the correct way that allows people to understand that there's a scope beyond what they've been able to experience before. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I love that you said that. Well, thank you for sharing that. Okay, so I want to back up here for a second. I want to go back to 2019. You were acquired by a company called 48 North. Yes. Yes. And then right around the time the pandemic hit, so about 2020, you decided to buy the company back. So first of all, can you tell us who 48 North is? And more importantly, what inspired you to buy the company back? Yeah, so 48 North is a publicly traded company on the TSXV in Toronto. So they were a large player and they're actually, I believe, the only female run. So their CEO is Allison Gordon and they're based out of Canada. So we did an acquisition with them in 2019, at the end of 2019. So it was October. And shortly after, only five months after, there was a change of control in the leadership in at 48 North and the new CEO did not see the vision that we had for Sackville & Co. So basically immediately um, attempted a shutdown of Sackville & Co and a few other of the brands that they acquired. So we, it was kind of began the fight of our life at the beginning of the pandemic. So this was actually March 9th that this began for us. And I think, and I think full shutdowns were in, in way of March 13th, at least here in New York. So it had like deep pandemic time. So we actually began um, to fight for the company back. So it took a few months and we were able to buy the company back in the middle of the year of 2020. And we've been running it independently ever since. So did they approach you or how did you get together with them? Yeah, yeah. So we had been um, looking for investment. It was something that we were kind of shopping around for. And we had met Allison through Cannabis Connections and we began talking and it was something that we, it took us about, I want to say maybe eight months to negotiate the deal. And then five months to to get the to buy the company oh back. Um, but yeah, we just we we were so strong on what we felt that the vision for Sackville and Co was and it was purposeful. It was it was something that we we were not willing to let it go by the wayside or let anybody else kind of take the vision of what that brand was for us. So we fought really hard and it was a difficult process. But we obviously you learn a lot. You learn a lot from any kind of adversity like that. And those there was a million things going on with the pandemic and this battle the lightest version of what it was (laughs) that is crazy talk about timing and everything so you said you learned a lot of things so Haley can you share a couple things that you you learned from that whole experience at the time you go into an acquisition you assume everything is going to go great (laughs) and you know all you're seeing is you know the the future it's like a marriage (laughs) it's going to be be amazing but you don't want to be a real stickler for you know some of those details of what would happen if it goes badly and because you don't want to be focusing on that however it's those key terms that really ended up giving us the opportunity to get it back so I think that was a huge learning in terms of just how we will ever go about something like that if we ever choose to in the future. But also I think the biggest thing that happened for the company is that it pushed us to sort of um, create new revenue streams that we not, we wouldn't necessarily have done at the time because, you know, we were just coming out of a big lawsuit. (laughs) We needed to make sure that the company could run sustainably. And so we created Sackville Studios because we had so many people reaching out to us, asking us if we could do design for them. And now that side of the business has just taken off and it's been incredible. So it's funny how things end up shaking out. I think you just have to, you know, 
stick to the vision and see what's possible in what you're doing. And uh, yeah, it ended up like much better than we ever could have imagined, really. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing. You know, a lot of my listeners are entrepreneurs and startups and small businesses. So what would be some advice that you would offer, especially if they're looking? Because I mean, you hear the story, somebody wants to start a company, be successful, and they have somebody buy them out, right? That's sort of the ultimate goal. And they buy you out for millions, whatever else. So what are some tips or some advice that you could offer anyone who might be listening based on your experience? Well, Haley mentioned that the contract piece is huge just because I think we were in a position at the beginning too, where, you know, we're the little guy, this is a public company. They have, you know, they have a huge board of directors and all these people that are coming at you and a legal team. And it's kind of like, you know, we were bullied into at points of like, just sign it, just sign it. This is the deal. But we really, really held strong to like these terms. We cannot, we, we just, we went into it, you know, maybe it's a cynical, maybe it's a cynical side of us or something, but like, what if this isn't, everything we need it to be like we needed to and and you know it extended sure. the contract it put us in a really difficult financial position it there's a lot of things that we should have given up on just to like get the deal going but we didn't and we held strong to it and that was something that was really important so get a good know, lawyer yes get a good lawyer get a good lawyer I think it's also, and maybe this is for women, this this is our perspective. This is two women who are building a company in an industry that's still very predominantly male, but it is, you know, it's easy to be intimidated and to be put in a room where you're the underdog, you're trying to build something and they have something you want. They have money, they have access or distribution or whatever these things are. And I think it's really easy to be intimidated, but I think we really learned that, First of all, no one really knows what they're doing. Everyone is trying to make it up as they go. And it's just, it's just a total like fool's errand to think that somebody knows better than, than you do for your own brand. So I definitely think like sticking to what, you know, you obviously have to pivot and be open to feedback. And if something's not working, like be able to, you know, not, not be married to the success of a single aspect but absolutely be married to the success of the vision, like the goal, the little pieces can change, but the actual end goal and where you're going to go, like we've never, ever, ever wavered the day we met. And the day that we built this, we still completely have the exact same end goal. And you don't always know the steps that are going to take to get there, but it, yeah, I think that, I think that don't be intimidated into thinking that you have to change any of those things or someone knows, knows better than you for your own company. That's great advice. So let's get more into the branding aspect of this. Cause we're, we're on a bit of a journey here and, and this is, you know, my wheelhouse is branding. So I want to talk about your merch for sure. I think it's so interesting because I, there's so many different types of merch and merchandise in general. I think um, for a long time, like merch has gotten a bad name because a lot of people use like the lowest quality X and then slap a logo on it. And they think that that's going to build brand equity, which it's not. Unfortunately, you know, consumer- backfires. <laughs> it backfires hard. Yeah. No one wants to be given trash. It feels yeah. awful because then yeah. you're responsible for that, you know? Yeah. Um, especially in today's market too. I mean, people are very, very aware of sustainability and how long a product should last. Like you should not be getting something and immediately thinking you have to get rid of it or throw it away or, you know, create more garbage. So for us, it's really, really important to ensure that anything that we're making is something that we know our audience is going to cherish and want and be excited to have for hopefully years. Our ashtray is a really exciting one that we just released actually. That's a new product for us. Um, And we did it in collaboration with these 
I'm going to say the name. Yeah, Urban Justice Justice Center's Sex Workers Project. So it's another <laughs> it's another um, push to our effort to continue to create um, awareness and a narrative around this destigmatization. And sex work is another thing that has a massive amount of stigma and a, and anybody like this is this goes into how we participate with um, charities and how we kind of use our voice and our money to participate. We're very, very like hands-on grassroots kind of participation. And this is something that the same thing, like cannabis criminalization, sex works decriminalization hurts people. It impacts minorities. It, it, it leaves people behind in a system that just absolutely shouldn't. So it's something that we actually are donating hundred percent of our profits of this ashtray, our more sex, more weed ashtray to um, the sex workers project, which is really just, again, just a piece to say, Ultimately, it's about equity. It's about everybody having the opportunity to have, you know, health care and access to to social systems and things like that, whether or not they use cannabis, uh, whether or not they're participating in sex work or these things that have become criminalized for really, you know, reasons that don't ha- have a place in today's society. Yeah. So 100 percent of the proceeds. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And we really do try to make sure that, you know, as we release products, we're making sure that there are certain products that we can ensure 100% goes to these efforts that we're really trying to make a change in. So we see the power of merchandise in that way where you can give someone something. Right. Can you say that again? What did you say? You see what? The power of merchandise. (laughs) Yeah, perfect. (laughs) Um, But you can really see it in the way that people are get something physical from the the donation that they're giving. So they are giving to this cause and they're helping to make that change. And they also get this beautiful, you know, in this case, this beautiful ashtray or this beautiful product that they'll keep and they'll keep in their life. And it is not a throwaway piece. So that's really important to us. And I think one of the reasons why Sackville Studios has been so successful is that we are so adamant on that quality and ensuring that as we're helping other brands step into the cannabis space and communicate with their audience, who a lot of the time are new to cannabis, we're giving them touch points that they can recognize, that they feel comfortable around, you know, whether it's a hoodie or, um, I don't know, a mug or, or something that they feel like they have this tangible touch point with. They can feel its quality. They can feel the uh, elements of the brand within it. And I think that's a really important thing as you're starting to build conversations with people who might not be super comfortable talking about cannabis. Yeah. I love that. I totally agree. What is the other thing you want to add to that, Lada? We do really believe that, and I think you you would know this across every level of you know branding and marketing. It's that like no longer can you kind of create a brand in a boardroom. Like you have to have some level of authenticity. And I think those touch points, as we mentioned earlier, like every single aspect, it, it, it can't be a digital footprint. Like at, there was a point where maybe your TV ads and your, your website or whatever, or even you post that where you could kind of have a cute, fun looking, engaging Instagram. But if you, if everything does, isn't something that people can kind of like embody, like a brand is actually something that people want to support as it reflects to their lifestyle, to them, to what they're supporting. So it's not just like, Hey, this is a cool brand. Like ultimately it should look beautiful. It should work whatever you're selling and it should be something that, you know, 
looks cool and looks nice or whatever, whatever the goals of that are, but it also has to be something that they, they believe in. So whether it's, it's like, you can't have a brand that has no sustainability touch points that has no access to like supporting a greater good. Like you have to be doing things. And, um, I don't think there was a point where it'd be like, donate a dollar, you know, like you could click a box, donate a dollar at your checkout or whatever, but we, we, we're building a win-win society, like buy something beautiful that you love. And we will don't, we will create equity and support for something that you can also get behind. That's kind of the goal of all of that. And we donate 5% of our profits to the tender foundation ongoing anyway. So these are kind of points where it's like, you don't have to do the work, buy something beautiful. It's going to be sustainable. It's going to be quality. You're going to believe in it and feel cool and like love wearing it or using it, but also will do good with it. Like this is a, it, it, there's authenticity across the brand, which I think is like where merchandise becomes that active voice instead of it being like, as Haley said, like something that's a little bit more disposable. Yeah. I love that. I, you know, I have conversations like that all the time with my clients and it's about being consistent and, you know, you talk about being purpose-driven and I want to talk about that 5%, but you know, if you say that you're a purpose-driven brand and you do things to help, then you need to back it up with everything that you do. And so swag is such a big part of it. And, you know, you talk about TV ads. I mean, if you get something like these t-shirts have been coveted, I mean, they last forever and they they'll stick around forever. So you're doing all that and people will wear and use whatever you're giving them with that sense of pride because they know what's behind it right so if they know that this ashtray you donating 100 proceeds to here or if they're getting that hoodie and they know that five percent is going this then they're feeling good about doing it and so it's a lot it's become so much more than just a hoodie or a mug or a t-shirt and what i love too is that price point isn't as much an issue you know back in the day I've been doing this a long time believe it or not over 20 years and you know it was all about price point and now it's a lot more than that it's like okay well what's behind the curtain and what is this company doing you know where did these mugs come from or how you know is it child labor and what and all that kind of stuff so I love love that that you said that so I didn't ask you this question I was thinking about when you were talking but where does the name Sackville and Co come from when we were first starting in uh 2018, we were kind of like ideating about how we wanted the brand to be. And it was really important to us to create a name that didn't have an association with cannabis already, because a lot of people, A, would be kind of uncomfortable with this box showing up to their house saying from, you know, X weed company or <laughs> cannabis company. With a big and pot was, leaf on the cover. Yeah. Totally. With all modern <laughs> pot leaves on it. Yeah. And it was a big thing for us where we wanted people to see the name and not have this automatic connotation come into their brain. And so we chose this name that, you know, didn't have really anything behind it. It's a street uh, in Toronto that we... Oh, we I was going to ask you, so it's not a made up name. It's a street in Toronto. Yeah. Oh, okay. That we liked and we thought, you know what, we can elevate this to mean something to our consumers in a way where they're not going to have this like predetermined notion of it when they, when they hear the name off the cuff. So yeah. <laughs> and then the co was just, you know, we're really obsessed as you can probably tell with really, you know, working with our community. So we wanted people to really understand, you know, the art, the culture, the fashion, like we're, we're really um, in the whole community aspect. That's great. Well, it's a great name and I love your logo. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you guys designed it. Is that right? We worked with an amazing designer on um, the website and branding and stuff. So yeah, but we obviously oversaw all of that. 
Yeah. Awesome. Wow. So interesting. Okay. So before we go, if you had one, one piece of advice to give uh, an entrepreneur or a team or, you know, you hear about business partners, you hear about partnerships breaking up all the time too. Mm-hmm. I, I think off the top of my head, a few people I know that didn't work out. What would you, what would be uh, one piece of advice that you would give people who are looking to go into business together? It's tricky because I think a lot of people go into business with people they're already friends with because they think that that's. And sometimes that ends the friendship. It often does. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I think being really real, I mean, I think one of the great things about Lana and I is we're both really honest, even if it's um, uncomfortable. And so even before we sort of built a friendship, when we were just starting to build a company, we were like, okay, this is me. This is how I feel. This is what I want. This is my goals at this. Do you want the same things? And that's as simple as like, do you want this to be a mom and pop shop? Do you want this to be a global domination run? Like, what are we doing here? And ensuring... Yeah, ensuring that you're actually on the same page with the goals of the company. Because I think a lot of people get caught up in not actually having the same vision at the end of the day. And I think if you're clear on that, that's really helpful in knowing where you stand otherwise. That's great advice. Do you ever want to add anything to that, Lana? I think another thing that having a partnership, same, we we were able to set off on the same page. And I think that it's in any relationship, it's really important to remove your ego when you're speaking to someone and you're both figuring it out. Like it's incredible. The things that I can learn from Haley and I think vice versa, where if we went into it thinking like, I know these things or whatever, you know, we pivot every single day is like, thought I knew this. I don't like, do you want to try or vice versa or something like we're really learning from each other as we go, because this is like the wild west and we, and no one, like I said, no one knows what they're doing. And we absolutely are kind of making it up as we go and let your guard down, let you don't have to show up in a way that's like, okay, I'm here because I'm the finance person or I'm the marketer or I'm the whatever. And therefore if there's something I don't know, or someone's coming at me that maybe I did it wrong or something, it's like, we're both kind of at the will of the task. And it's like, no ego, let's learn this together. Let's rely on each of our knowledge and and tap into elsewhere where we need to. Mm, that's great. I love what you said about leave your ego at the door. I think that is so important, yeah. right? So especially as you grow too. So well, guys, it's gone by so quickly. It's been so much fun. I can't believe how much we have in common. We worked at the same place. That is too yeah. it was meant to be crazy. Yeah. I know. So if people <laughs> want to learn more about you, what's the best way for them to find you? So you're on social media. So what's your Instagram? You have a great Instagram. What's your Instagram account? Our Instagram is sackville.and.co, which is S-A-C-K-V-I-L-L-E dot A-N-D dot C-O. And our website, which you can see all of our products, you can buy from the website, is uh, sackville, which is S-A-C-K-V-I-L-L-E dot co. Dot co. Okay, great. Well, any parting words before we say goodbye? Thank you so much. Yeah, we're so happy to be here. Oh, wow. That's not what I was fishing for, but you're welcome. And it was my pleasure. It was so fun. You guys are amazing. So I hope we're going to be able to continue this and maybe get together in person. My brother lives in New York, so maybe next time I'm there, yeah, we'll get together. And my whole family's still in Calgary, so we're... Oh, that's crazy. (laughs) For sure, when you come to Calgary, we are going to get together. That sounds amazing. All right, guys. Well, thank you again, and uh, we will definitely be in touch. All right. Thank you. 
there you have it. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and maybe learned a few things to help you with your branding. But most of all, I hope you had some fun. This show is a work in progress, so please remember to rate and review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. And if you want to learn more about me and what I do to help my clients with their branding, feel free to reach out to me on any of the social channels under, you guessed it, Branding Badass. Branding Matters was produced, edited, and hosted by Jolie Goodson, also me. So thanks again, and until next time, here's to all you badasses out there.